The following is a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit AmarilloFellowship.com. Amen. You may be seated today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again. Last week we began a new series, I Love My Church. And I just have to say it again, I love my church. This isn't my church because I'm the pastor. This is my church because I'm a part of it. So this, just like this is my church, this is your church. And I love my church. And the reason why I love my church is because I love you. Some of you aren't sure about that, but I love you. you know, I always wonder about that because every time I ask somebody, hey, can I, can I meet with you? Can you come in and so I can meet with you? They always feel like they're going to the principal's office, like they're in trouble or something. But I love you. I really do. I love you. I, I, I believe that you guys love one another. I love my church. And I love this series that we're in talking about how we love our church. But here's something that I know. Whenever you start talking about behaviors that as believers we should be kind of following after, it's easy for us to move away from the grace of God and get back into a works mindset. When we start talking about things that we need to do, we can real quickly get back into thinking that our behaviors are going to make God love us more and that if we do all the right things, then God will bless us. God's grace is God's grace. You know what grace means? It means unmerited, unearned favor. It means that you can't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to deserve it. But because of what God has done, there are some responses, some reflexes, if you will, that we've been talking about that we need to walk in now that we're understanding what it is Christ has done for us. That's why last week we talked about right behaviors like loving the church, which is the body of Christ. See, the church is not this building. It's not this service. It's who we are, that when we're loving the church, it's a reflex. It's a natural response that happens as we understand God's love for us and what he's done for us. I want to ask you a question today. Do you remember what God has done for you? Do you remember throughout the week, do you, do you, are you reminding yourself about what God has done for you, or are you falling into the trap that we can fall into from time to time in saying, what have you done for me lately, right? <laughs> Sorry, poor attempt to mimic whoever that was. My apologies on the podcast. Do you remember what God has done for you? Are you, are you remembering the pit that he brought you out of? Are you remembering the things, the, the times that God did amazing things in your life? Because sometimes as we're walking through life and there's some challenges in life and some struggles in life, we have a tendency to forget that it wasn't just but a week ago or two weeks ago or a month ago that God delivered us out of a financial mess, that he healed us, that he restored a relationship. We become forgetful hearers like the Bible talks about. We need to be reminding ourselves all the time, God, thank you for what it is that you've done for me. In fact, can you just take just a moment just to say that to God? Say, God, thank you for saving me. God, thank you for setting me free. Lord, thank you that you have brought peace into my life, that you're bringing joy into my life. Loving others and having a desire to serve others and give to others is a, respo- a, res- a response. It's a, it's a reflex, if you will. It happens because of an internal, heartfelt revelation of how good God is. Do you ever have to pinch yourself because you're going, oh my goodness, God is so good. Have you ever walked around going, man, all of this in heaven too? Oh my goodness, who would not want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? See, as long as you think following Jesus Christ is about the rules, the regulations, what you can do, what you can't do, you're never going to share your faith. 
because you think it's horrible. Why would you want to push it on someone else? But when you begin to understand what God has done, what God is doing, and what God is going to do in your life, you can't help but talk about the goodness of God. Forgetful hearers. We've got to remind ourselves. We've got to remember who God is. We've got to remind ourselves how good our God is. See, it causes us to respond right. Uh, understanding the goodness of God causes you and I to live right. It causes us to respond right. And I know that culturally today, there are Christian people who are anti the established church. They are against church in an organized sense. And sometimes because it's, they see the organization and they, they think of it as something that's rigid and, and not life-giving, that is absent of relationship. Other times they're anti-church because they've been hurt in a church. I promise if you're in a church long enough, you're going to get hurt in a church. Someone's going to say something to you, something, someone's going to do something to you. But I want you to know that's a learning process, that God's allowed that in your life to sometimes grow us up. I've shared you, with this, this with you guys. I grew up in a large family. You had to learn how to be a little tough growing up in a large family. My family was not always as loving to me and didn't see the wonderful person that you see on Sunday mornings all the time. They saw me sometimes at my worst and said things and did things and thought things and they were, were damaging to me. But can I tell you, I grew out of it. First of all, I learned not to say those things. Just like I'm learning with my wife all the time. Note to self, don't say that, right? There's a process that we're going through. Listen, none of us are as strong as all of us. There's something amazing when the body of Christ gets together and we begin to operate in unity. Unity is not sameness. It doesn't mean that you have to look like and dress like someone else or act like and think like someone else. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're a part of the body of Jesus Christ. Something amazing happens. In fact, the word of God says that it's like the oil that flows off Aaron's beard. God's blessing begins to show up in a house that walks in unity. So none of us are as strong as all of us. But the church, the body of Jesus Christ really has done and is really doing some good things on the face of the earth. Sometimes we hear the one or two stories and we begin to think, well, the church is just not a good thing. No, the church is doing some amazing things and touching people's lives. And as the people of God begin to grow and mature, our actions and behaviors begin to grow and mature. Our environment becomes more loving. The, the environment here should be the most loving and accepting environment in the world. I want you to know, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you did last night, this week, what it is that is an issue in your life right now, I want you to know that we love you just the way that you are. But just like I've shared about what Billy Graham said, God loves you just the way that you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay just the way you are. It should be a loving environment where people are being loved. See, as people of God, we, we've got to begin to grow and mature. When that happens, our environment becomes more loving. Suddenly the church still has structure. We're still organized. We still have a focus, a collective vision of what we're all about as a church. And it has strong relationships inside of that. And while we are going to hurt others and we're going to be hurt from time to time, we're operating continually in an atmosphere of forgiveness. Forgiveness that is both given and forgiveness that is received. See, do you know that you can actually give someone forgiveness without them asking for forgiveness? We're operating in an atmosphere of forgiveness. See, and it happens as we're maturing. 
That's why we want to pick up in this series where we left off in the last series in this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it says this, that when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. See, becoming a man or becoming mature causes us to put away childish things. But putting away childish things is a byproduct, it's a reflex, if you will, of maturing. If you're here today and you're above the age of 16 or 17 and you're still playing with Barbies and Ken, dolls, awesome, all right? But there probably needs to come a point where we need to put away some childish things. See, you didn't just say as a, as a four-year-old, you know what, I'm going to put away these childish things and I'm just going to become a man. No, you grew, you matured. You got made fun of, maybe, from the pastor at church on Sunday for playing with dolls. And now suddenly you're like, I'm going to put away childish things. It's a, it's a byproduct of maturing. But notice what the writer says that he did, that when he was a child, he spoke, understood, and thought as a child. See, what you're thinking on, what you're dwelling on in your thought life develops your understanding. It's one of the reasons why we can't allow fear into our life. You, you need to have a, a healthy understanding about environments when you go into a dangerous neighborhood or something, but we shouldn't be driven by fear. There are a lot of fear there's a lot of fear-mongering going on right now where people are preaching fear, preaching fear. And if you're reacting and responding, what you're thinking all the time is, "Oh my God, God's not going to take care of us. I've got to do whatever I can." No, do what you think you're supposed to do, but don't do it out of fear. What you're thinking on, if you're thinking all the time, if you're being bombarded by those messages of fear, it creates this understanding of fear. And what you understand to be true because you don't always understand what's true. Let me say that again. What you're understanding to be true because you don't always understand, really understand what's actually true. Let me give you an example. Before, hundreds of years ago, the greatest minds in the world thought that the world was flat. Their understanding, because of the way that they had been taught, the way they thought, they believed their understanding that the world was flat, so you needed to be careful in sailing in the oceans, because at some point you would just fall off the world. So our understanding isn't always true, but what you understand to be true determines what you say, and it determines what you do. So notice these three things that he talks about, spoke, understood, thought, spoke, understood, thought. When he was a child, he spoke, understood, and thought as a child. S, spoke, U, understood, thought, speak, T, I'll get it spelled right here in a second, S-U-T, spoke, understood, and thought. They are systems under training. You have control over what you're saying, you have control over what you're understanding, and you have control over what you're thinking about. These are three areas that need to have constant training going on. We constantly need to be reminding ourselves, stop thinking that way. I'm married to the most wonderful woman in the world. I really can say that with a lot of confidence. I, I don't ever regret marrying the most beautiful woman in the world. She's rolling her eyes at me right now. I am married to the most wonderful woman in the world, but let me tell you this, sometimes we don't always agree. Shocking, isn't it? 
sometimes she sees it one way and I see it a totally different way. Now, if I'm not careful, I can allow my thinking to become stinking thinking, and I can start dwelling on that one issue, start thinking, what on earth is wrong with her if she would just mature and just understand that I'm the man of the house and she needs to listen to me? (laughs) Things would be so much better. When I think like that, I begin to understand that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't know what her deal is. I don't know what her issue is. I'm understanding something. Okay, I finally get it. She's not really for me. She's against me. That's why she won't let me buy another motorcycle. She's against me, right? Then I start saying wrong things and I start acting wrong. When all the while, if I'd just gone back and took that thought captive, changed my thinking and said, look, we just see it differently. It's okay that she sees it differently. It's okay. I want to value differences. I want to understand what she thinks and what she believes. All the men said, Amen. It's kind of wimpy. Some of y'all are in trouble. So what we're thinking, what we're understanding, and what we are speaking needs to be constant, a constant focus of our life. We need to be paying attention to understand that these are reflexes of things that are happening on the inside of us. Because again, our thinking determines our understanding and what we understand determines what we say or what we do. So if I'm acting worried and anxious, it's just a reflex because I know that I'm not trusting God in that area of my life. Just so you know, worry is not a spiritual gift. You do not have to worry about anything. Doesn't mean that there's not some activity related to trying to fix wrong behavior or make things happen, but you don't have to be worried and anxious about it. See, if I'm living at peace and I'm filled with joy and I'm at rest, even in the midst of of the storm, just so you know, you can be resting in the boat like Jesus, even in the midst of your storms. It's because my confidence is in God. And I can know in my heart that God is a good God who loves to take care of his children. Let me say that again. God is a good God who loves to take care of his children. He is not teaching you lessons by bad things going on in your life. He allows some things to go on in our life to help us, but just like we wouldn't throw our kids out in the middle of the freeway and say, hey, dodge the cars because I want to teach you not to be on the freeway, God wouldn't do that with us. He loves to take care of his children, but having peace and joy, having confidence in God's goodness, being able to rest in difficult times is just a reflex of what's really happening on the inside of me. When you trust God and believe in God, When you're filled with the love of God, the love of God just naturally pours out of you. It's a reflex. It means that you'll be patient. It means that you'll be patient. It means that you'll be kind. Listen, I'm not saying that you're going to get it right every time. But you don't excuse yourself. Well, this is just the way that I am. I'm short-tempered. Live with it. No, we don't do that. We recognize the fruit of the Spirit actually dwells inside of you, child of God. Sometimes it's just in a seedling form, but if you begin to nurture it based upon the goodness of God, it's going to produce fruit in your life. We're patient. We're kind. We're gentle. You're not seeking your own way. You're obedient to God's word. It means that you love the church, the people of God, and because you're filled with with the love of God, you give to and you serve others. When you're in tune to the love of God, all the fruit of the Spirit automatically starts showing up in your life. You don't have to struggle to be patient. Oh, I'm going to be patient today. Right? It just starts happening in your life. 
But look at, listen to this, when we've forgotten how good God is, when we became a forgetful hearer, when we aren't motivated by love, we find ourselves doing things for the wrong motives, and then we wonder why our heart is filled with fear, or why we're dealing with such depressing thoughts, or we wonder why we're struggling with anger and insecurity. So think for just a moment over this past week, based upon your responses or the reflex of your responses, have you been recognizing the goodness of God? Have you understood that, that God is for you and it, that he's actually not against you? Do you know that God is going to take care of you? Listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, we always win. Just so you know, this is not our home. We are just strangers passing through on our way to heaven. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be absent from this body that has some soreness and some stiffness is going to be present with the Lord where this body is going to be able to slam dunk a basketball. It may not be on your wish list when you get to heaven, but it's something that I would like to do. We always win. See, when you recognize and understand that God, what God has done for you, what he's doing for you, and what he will do for you, you can't help but surrender your life completely to him. It's not something that you do. It's a reflex of your appreciation and your thanksgiving and your love for God. See, you can always tell how excited you are about God by how much you share your faith with other people. When, when you're so excited about what God is doing in your life, you can't help but talk about the goodness of God. When someone comes to you and says, man, how did you get that promotion? You say, I earned it. I stayed after. I've been working really hard. You go, no, no, let me tell you about the goodness of my God. When you have this windfall breakthrough and some financial th things come your way that you were totally unexpected, you can just step back and go, God, thank you that you're so good to me. God, thank you so loved. You can't help but talk about the goodness of God. It's a reflex. It's a response. Because you know you didn't deserve all the good that you've gotten. I don't know if that's proper English, but that's the best way I can think to say it. We don't understand sometimes all the good that God does for us when we don't really deserve the good that he does for us. Let me show you a couple examples from God's word when I'm talking about this issue of a reflex. Let me show you a couple of guys that responded, had a, a reflex, if you will. And by the way, I'm saying reflex, not reflux. So just make sure you caught that. A reflex, a response, if you will, to God's goodness. In Genesis chapter 14, they're going to throw the scripture up here in just a minute. A Abraham had just come out of the battle of kings. Four kings had come against five kings, and the four kings defeated the five kings. Now, the problem for Abraham was that his nephew Lot and his family were taken captive. So Abraham goes after him with his 318 servants. Now, I want you to notice that I didn't say 318 warriors. He went after him with 318 servants. Now, sometimes we can read a Bible story and we think, oh, that's kind of cool. What else we got? If you think for just a moment, if Al-Qaeda... ISIS came and captured your family, and you got 318 of the salty guys that are around here. I mean, there's some pretty tough dudes here in our church. In fact, a lot of you, the reason I love you is because you're pretty tough, and I want to love you and make sure that you love me because you're so tough. But as salty as we are, we would honestly not be a match for Al-Qaeda trained people. So Abraham, with his 318 servants, goes after them, these four kings, and he defeats them. Now, Abraham recognizes that he can possibly be destroyed, and yet God protected him and gave him victory. So as he's returning from the battle, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, who is a priest to the Most High God, comes out and he blesses Abraham, and he brings him food, some bread, and some wine. 
And here's what he says in verse 20 of Genesis 14. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now Abraham walked with God, so he understood the goodness of God. But what if we're not careful, we could get ourselves into an Abraham situation and think, no, it wasn't God that did it, I did it. It was me. Look, I went out there and fought. God wasn't fighting. God fought the battle for him. He had to walk out the battle. But God was the one that gave him victory. So blessed be the God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now watch the reflex response of Abraham. And he gave him a tithe of all. See, a tithe is, is the 10%. It's that which belongs to the Lord that we bring back and we return to God. So why did Abraham give a tithe? Why, why did he have this reflex response? Think about it for just a minute. If you were fighting your enemies and God showed up and delivered your enemies into your hand, which by the way, he's done that. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're not ever fighting for victory. I know that sometimes we're in the middle of a battle. We can think we're fighting for victory, but we're actually fighting from a position of victory. We're already on victorious ground. The enemy is trying to come in. We can begin to use the word of God against him and come against him. So it's already happened. Wouldn't you be thankful? Think about it. Put, again, go back to the Al-Qaeda thing. Man, there's no way we could whip this thousand people with our 318 people. Wouldn't you be thankful? Wouldn't you be appreciative? Wouldn't your heart be so filled with love, you would wonder, what can I do? Because Abraham was so thankful and grateful that God had delivered his enemies into his hand. His reflex was that he gave him a tithe of all. He didn't tithe out of an obligation. It was just a natural response of recognizing how good God had been to him. It was motivated by love. Again, the enemy wants to distract you from understanding and knowing the love of God. That's why we have to constantly, even in the midst of our failure, stand back up and say, God, thank you that you love me perfectly. Because I promise your feelings and emotions are screaming something different. They're saying, God's disappointed with you. Don't even try to overcome this anymore. So he didn't tithe out of obligation. He was motivated by love. Look at this one in Luke chapter 19. Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? Now, if you grew up in Sunday school like me, you probably remember this, this little song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, the Savior for me. Okay. Not too many people know that song. Okay. It's a great song helping us understand the story of Zacchaeus. He was a short guy. Well, it's easy for us to say, well, Pastor Richie, the, the reflex only really works for people who are in church. You know, it's for the church folk. Well, let me just say that Zacchaeus isn't in church. In fact, he's in a tree. And the Bible says that although he was rich, he was a sinner. Okay, he's an IRS agent. Now, that's not a statement that he's a sinner because he's an IRS agent. You can infer that yourself if you want to. But that's not what I'm saying. Verse 5 of Luke 19 says this, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to, Zac said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and, re and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, this is the religious leaders, because right, the goodness of God is only for those of us that are living right, right? The older sons here today, right? We, we faithfully served you, God, all these years. You can't bless these people that are just getting saved now. Preach it, Richie. Amen. And when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, 
I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Do you see what happened? Zacchaeus was so grateful and so thankful that Jesus would come and be a guest at his house that out of his love that he felt for Jesus, he stood up without Jesus even asking him to 